We're in Exodus 50, 15 this morning, but in chapter 14, I felt inclined to talk about the crossing of the Red Sea and review it a little bit because in the Old Testament, the parting of the Red Sea is the miracle for the Jewish people. That is the miracle that they point to as their greatest miracle of deliverance. And all of Israel, even what we would call secular Jews, look back to this great event. This miracle set in motion where Israel became a nation. Israel leaves Egypt by the powerful hand of God. There have been ten plagues that God brought upon Egypt directly from his hand. Ten times God has demonstrated his power and authority over the Egyptian people who are very proud rebellious people. Egypt is a nation with hard, stubborn hearts towards God. The heart of Pharaoh, the heart of the Egyptian people, have an effect on God, and it causes God to declare, I will gain honor and respect from this people that are caught up into idolatry and all other sorts of sinful behavior. Egypt is proud, very proud, and pride is always manifested against God. That's why God says without hesitation, I hate pride. God even declares, I hate a prideful look. So, you know, we can even... Uh, act like we're cool or something, and give a prideful look, and it, it's an offense to God. The height of pride, though, declares the same as Pharaoh declared in, in uh, Exodus 5, 2, who is God that I should obey him? These words spoken by Pharaoh when he first encountered Moses. And these words have been echoed down the annals of time for centuries by prideful man. Who is God that I should obey him or really acknowledge him? Our heart, this inner organ in our chest, is more than a blood pump. <laughs> Scripture is replete of how our heart is the seat of our emotions. Our attitudes towards God and our attitudes towards our fellow man, in basic speaking, is from the heart. And throughout the ages, poets and songwriters, they have written about the virtues or perhaps the fickleness of the heart. I read somewhere, and I can't remember where, but it says, when there is a conflict between the heart and our logical thinking or the mind, 
the heart wins always always we go with our heart so when we read Pharaoh and the Egyptians have hard hearts understand where they're coming from know that their entire behavior, their entire culture, their very countenance of their face is anti-God. They have a hard heart towards God. And this hard heart by Pharaoh and the Egyptian, it angers God, causing God to make an example out of Egypt. And it also takes Egypt, this nation, this people, and it makes them irretrievable. There is no hope for them because God now says, I fight against them, I will bring honor for myself, and I will harden their heart. There is no longer a hope of repentance for Egypt. There will be no turning away from their destruction that is determined by God. The only thing that remains for Egypt is the playing out of their destiny play out the whole scenario and God will gain honor over Egypt as it speaks about in verse 17 of chapter 14 what is uh, kind of conspicuous here is that Egypt had a mighty army and up until the crossing of the Red Sea the army has not been brought into play whatsoever against the multitude of Israel. Egypt's army is perhaps the greatest army in the world at that time. They are much stronger. They are much more mighty than an unarmed, untrained multitude of slaves. It wouldn't even be a battle. <laughs> In my opinion, in my humble opinion, after World War II here in the United States, after our greatest victory ever, we had the greatest military in the world. We controlled the oceans. We controlled the skies. Our ground force, you know, they were just great. We had a great army. But shortly after World War II came Korea. And from the time of Korea till today, we have not fought a war to win. We have only been a police force in the world. And again, this is my opinion. I'm no military expert. But now I see our military being reduced in numbers. I see our military being reduced in morale. And this is being done by our elected leaders. And we, as a nation, in my opinion, are crumbling and we're coming apart from within. Back to God and the Red Sea and God dividing it. We looked at how God fights for Israel against Egypt. And in verses 19 and 20 of chapter 14, I'll read them in a moment, we see how God fights for Israel against Egypt. Let me read you those two verses. 14, chapter 14, 19 and 20. And the angel of the, 
of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that one did not come near the other all that night. The angel of God goes from leading Israel by a cloud and a pillar of fire to moving behind them and protecting them from, from this pursuing Egyptian army. This cloud, this pillar of fire, are a great comfort to Israel. This same cloud becomes a dense fog, a confusion for the Egyptians. How typical of our Lord. God comforts us with many blessings and protections that can be completely misunderstood by unbelievers or the world. Recently, uh, that uh, Malaysian flight that went over the Ukraine that was shot down, a Dutch mother missed her flight that was shot down over the Ukraine. On 9-11, we had numerous stories of people that were late for work and miss the planes going into the buildings or they miss their ride to work on that morning and they experience God's protection without even knowing it and perhaps they even got upset because they missed their ride or something came up that delayed them and yet it was God protecting them I'm convinced that many times we experience God's protections without even knowing it, without even realizing it. Uh, just recently, I was driving down a little two-lane road, and this truck starts veering over into my lane. And it was a near miss. And I said to Lori, that was close. <laughs> and we think, wow, I'm glad, glad he woke up or whatever and came to his senses. But that's simply God protecting us. The Egyptian army, the chariot drivers, realize God fights for Israel against them. And he fights against them by taking the wheels off of their chariots. You know, it's hard to drive a chariot that doesn't have two wheels or maybe <laughs> one wheel and is still tough. But in the Old Testament, we read of how God delivered his people out of slavery, out of Egypt, and uh, Jeremiah records it, Micah records it, Nehemiah, Nahum, Isaiah, the psalmist write about it. Our scripture reading this morning was a psalmist that wrote about it. And they all write about how God delivered Israel from Egypt. Let me read you one verse from Isaiah. Isaiah 51, 15. And to me this describes the way God looked upon his deliverance of Israel. But I am the Lord your God, who divided the seas, sea singular, whose waves roared, the Lord of hosts is my name. God takes full credit. 
He's not shy about taking credit for delivering his people. Notice the waves of the sea roared. The sound of crashing waves tells us this was more than just a little depression, a little swampy area that Israel crossed. The waves roared. And it also says, and there was enough water that the waves, uh, the walls of water heaped up on each side of them. And this area that they crossed, well, modern man likes to say, well, it was just a little swampy area, but it was deep enough to drown the entire Egyptian army. So there was some water there. The logistics of Israel coming out of Egypt is amazing. There is at least two and a half million people that are fleeing Egypt. Scripture tells us there were 600,000 men. And to be recognized as a man, you had to be fully grown and usually had to be married. And, of course, there's children there. So there's two and a half million people that are fleeing a nation. And they flee on a dry path through the sea that is at least several miles wide. The dry area had to be at least one mile wide. If you were to line up Israel side by side, Give him a space of two and a half feet per person. That line of a mile wide would be 2,000 people. The multitude of Israel would have been not only a mile wide, but they would have been about a mile and a half deep. And you've got that kind of crowd going through the sea on dry land. And that is tremendous in its astonishing way how God brought out Israel from Egypt. But God is not only delivering his people, he is fighting against Egypt. And the entire Egyptian army will drown in the sea. The path of deliverance for Israel was the tomb for Egypt. The wrath of God is against Egypt, and his wrath totally fits Egypt's sin. No man can point a finger at God and say he is unfair in his judgment. Sometimes we can think that God is allowing man to just come to his own end in today's world. Understand, know this, God is totally active in the affairs of his people and the affairs of mankind. Don't ever, did I say ever? Never, ever, never, mistake God's patience as him being idle or inactive. There will be a time in the great tribulation when evil men will seek death. They will cry out for the rocks to fall upon them. An effort of men, sinful man, to avoid God's judgment. 
But death is not an escape. It is just simply an address change. That's all death is. I think perhaps the greatest deception that Satan foists upon mankind or any person is just give up. Throw in the towel, you know, call it quits in your life. But death is simply an usher who takes you from one present situation, good or bad, to your eternal destination, which is either very good or very bad. It's just a butler. That's all death is. And there are no other options. Several weeks back, we looked at the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus was in paradise in Abraham's bosom. Lazarus was in absolute comfort. The rich man, however, is in eternal torment, physically and mentally. Eternity, it cries out to each and every conscious person, choose wisely where you will spend me. Eternity cries out, be careful what you do with me. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he has done everything possible to save you and to save every man. And to refuse his work on the cross, it only leaves us damnation. You either accept Christ or suffer his punishment. So don't be foolish with the greatest treasure that you are given, which is eternal life. But after God delivered Israel and having gained honor over the Egyptian, his enemy, it had an effect on Israel. For now they fear God with a new and a fresh fear and a great respect. The Israelites now have a great respect for God, and they even respect Moses, God's servant. And that's what the crossing of the Red Sea brought about. But now we're jumping over, going to give you some fresh stuff here, chapter 15. <laughs> now, this is where we're going to have that congregation uh, participation. I'm going to get you to stand in a moment, and we're going to read the first 18 verses or the song that the Israel sang once they had crossed the Red Sea. So get ready by getting up. Now, if you don't have a Bible, we got one we will give you. We want everybody to participate in this. It's kind of like a sing-along, you know. We're going we're gonna to do this. I will read the odd verses, you will read the even verses. Does everyone have a Bible? We're good? All right, let's see if we can do this. <laughs> Electronic toys, all right. <laughs> all right, verse 1. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously the horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. <laughs> 
Not bad, not bad. Let's carry on. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? No, no, don't be treading on my part now. You and your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. All right, you did good, and I'm going to let you sit down for a moment. <laughs> I've never done that. I'm proud of you. Well, sort of proud, you know. <laughs> well, let me read now 19 through 21. For the horses of Pharaoh went in with his chariot and his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered him, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. This song comes forth spontaneously from Israel. And it's organized. You know, the songwriters didn't have an opportunity, whatever that is, didn't have an opportunity, you know, to sit down and write this. It came forth spontaneously, and it came from their hearts. And so it's really kind of an amazing song that they sang. The only thing I have objection with is the timbrels. Those are nothing more than tambourines. 
I was raised, gotta, gotta say this, in a Pentecostal church. My mother was very faithful to take us to church. But there were several little old ladies in this one particular Pentecostal <coughs> church that I attended that would bring their tambourines. <laughs> they would sit on the front row. To play a tambourine, you need one thing, to pick up the beat. You know, you, got, you don't just sit there and shake it all the time. These ladies did not know how to pick up a beat. And I would sit there and go, why in the world did they do that? <laughs> They're not in time. They're just making a noise. And, uh, and the pastor allowed them to do it. So it has been said by some of our worship team, don't bring a tambourine, and that is still in force. <laughs> uh, I'm, a, I'm all for praising the Lord. Uh, making a joyful noise and if you've ever heard me sing that's what I do make a joyful noise but it's a good thing to sing to recite the praises of a song to our Lord and we should always be quick like Israel was to sing of the Lord's goodness that he has done for us Music is a great gift from God, I believe, and it's a great thing when we use music to express our hearts to our Lord. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand and we'll close in prayer. Father God, we look at the miracle of the crossing of the Red Sea, and we're in awe of it, Lord. My goodness, you take two and a half million people and you cross the sea in orderly ranks. Just the logistics of that are amazing to us, Lord. And then you use the same waters to drown the Egyptian, to gain honor over them. Lord, who can stand against you? No one. Who can fight against God and win? No one. Father God, we're so blessed that you have called us to yourself and we are your children. So Lord, we would pray that we would not have a hard and rebellious heart like the Egyptian. We want to be that servant, that child of yours that is easily instructed, Lord. We want to be teachable before you, Lord. You have proven your goodness to us. We have no complaint against you, our Lord and our God. Thank you, Lord, for showing us grace and mercy. Thank you for Jesus and our salvation. And we pray in his name. Amen.